0: You guys can go ahead and take a seat. Well, you might be wondering uh, who it is that's uh, up on stage this evening playing the piano. Everybody knows Trinity already. Everybody say hi, Trinity. But I want to introduce you to uh, my friend Caleb. Everybody say hi, Caleb. So Caleb and I uh, are best friends from seminary, Um, and as I mentioned last Sunday, we are taking a two-message break from our new teaching series that I'm doing called The New Life because we had the privilege of having uh, Pastor Andy Addis with us this past Wednesday and this evening. We have the privilege of having uh, one of my closest friends in the world, Caleb, with us. Uh, We went to seminary together, got our master's degrees, but we also had the opportunity to work together with middle school students, Um, and so we've had uh, time doing this, uh, leading worship together. Not me. I don't lead the worship. He leads the worship. Uh, and both of us have had the opportunity to preach together and uh, and to share in the goodness of doing ministry together. And so I'm grateful that he's here this evening, and I know he is going to bless me and bless all of us. Let's give him a round of applause if we could.
1: Good, buddy. Thanks for coming out on Labor Day weekend. I didn't know how many people would be showing up, but I'm glad to see you guys here. And I'm pumped that I get to be here with Paul and you all in Sterling again. My name's Caleb. Um, I was a church planner for the past three years up in Adrian, Michigan, and I left out about a year ago. so for the last year i 've been exploring what God might have in mind for me next. so that 's not something you really figure out necessarily your freshman year or your senior year or even a decade after college. it's something I think you continue to discover the whole journey along. and so I 'm in that spot once yet again, like, God, what, what do you have for me now? Where are you leading my life so I just want to jump in though, my, my goal tonight, my goal tonight is that you would be leaving here, not just with more information in your minds, but there would be a deeper hunger in you to actually know and see God, it's simple, I just want you to leave here with a deeper craving after God, not just the theoretical, but genuinely knowing him, that, that's what I'm aiming after, so as we seek that together and you stay with me, would, would you pray and we'll, we'll jump into things tonight, I'm not waste time here, but. Father, it's just good to sing to you. It's good to praise you. My heart needs that, to remember your kindness to me, your pursuit of me, that you are present with me, even though I'm often blind to that. So Father, I ask in the name of Jesus, would you stir up these students to really see you tonight, have an awareness of you, Not just another moment to go through the motions, but Father, you would show up in the name of Jesus by your Holy Spirit and these students in their inner being. And if students really don't know you and still have questions, this would be a message that prompts them to seek more deeply. So I ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. So I'll we'll start with a story uh, about the Grand Canyon. A couple years ago, my family, we got to go and check out the Grand Canyon. If you've not been, you're missing out. So we went and the Grand Canyon lives up to its name. This, this thing is huge. Like you stand on the edge, kind of like this photo, and it's massive, it's huge. It's one of the few places I've been in my life where I'm having a hard time believing that what I'm looking at right in front of my eyes is actually real. Is this canyon actually this massive and huge? And it's amazing to explore, take hikes through. But when we were there, my family, we had lunch uh, along the canyon at this restaurant right on the rim of the canyon. And my family, one of these weird groups that we like to interrogate our server when they come up. I don't know if your families are like that, but we ask 20 questions like, where are you from? Are you a student? What are you doing? So we were doing that to the server. And we asked, man, like, what's that like every day coming and working right next to the Grand Canyon. Like, this has to be amazing that you show up at work and what you see out the windows is this gorgeous view. And she said something that surprised us. She said, actually, I've been coming here the past two years working at this restaurant, and I gotta tell you the truth, I don't even notice the Grand Canyon anymore. I was like, in that moment, something went off inside of me like this alarm, and I was like, what? Like, how do you not notice this massive canyon right in front of you, but seeing in my own heart God just speaking, this is the very thing that is in danger of happening in your heart, Caleb, where you get so familiar and around the things of God that you struggle to see me or even notice me anymore. Maybe some of you are in the same spot where you've grown up, maybe in a Christian family, heard all the sermons gone on all the missions trips, and you're so deeply familiar with the things of God that it's easy to take those things for granted and not be amazed and startled by the beauty of them anymore. You know what I'm talking about. You sit in these moments and it's just bland, superficial, go through the motions kind of Christianity that for me is so unnerving. I can't handle it. I cannot handle it. Some of the moments I think I've been most in danger in my faith has been in college in prayer groups where it just felt so dead. Like, are we talking to God right now? Because this seems so bland to me. We're just going through the motions. And God just speaking to my heart, Caleb, this is the same spot that you are in danger of being. If you get too close and just see and get familiar. But my question tonight, my question is, is there a way that we could know God more without the staleness of familiarity? Again, is there a way that we could know and seek God more and find more of him without falling into this trap of the staleness of familiarity? How do we get there? Especially for all of you just beginning of school year here at Sterling where you're going to be sitting in a couple more classes and chapels. How do we avoid this in our hearts? How do we avoid this? So if you have a Bible, open up with me. I want to read a passage, first of all, in Luke chapter 15, and then again in Hebrews 11. We, we should have this on a screen for you, but again, if you have a Bible and want to follow along, uh, I'm going to read first in Luke chapter 15, 1 through 7 here. So it says this, how do we seek God, yet avoid the staleness of familiarity? It says, now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus But the Pharisees and teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Keep this passage in mind. We're not going to address it right now, but we're going to come back to it in a little bit. So remember the shepherd and the way he sought out this one sheep. I want to spend most of our time, though, in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. Again, this should be on a screen for you. Just verse 6, one to zero in here. It says, and without faith, it is impossible to please God. That's important right there, right? It's impossible to please God without what? Faith. Because, here's his explanation, anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him, who earnestly seek him. I want us to zero in on just those last few words. Most translations just say, seek him, but the King James and the NIV here are trying to draw out something. They add earnestly or diligently to this because this is not just a haphazard stumbling upon. This is not an accidental discovery. This is a seeking out. This is a chasing after that I want this and I'm intentionally setting my heart on it so there's a purposeful pursuit that this is talking about in Hebrews chapter 11 earnestly seeking God. And this is the key for us if we're gonna avoid the danger of familiarity. But this feels a little backwards to me because isn't it that the more you seek something, the more familiar you become with it? Wouldn't that increase the danger? No, this is actually how we press through the danger and the staleness here. What do I mean? I'm gonna tell you another story. This time, about a fish, about a fish. There was a student... Uh, back in the mid-1800s, named Sam Scudder, Sam Scudder. And he really wanted to study zoology and the study of insects. So he went freshman year to one of his professors, who was a teacher of science. He said, I want to study under you and learn from you. And the professor asked him some questions about his background. Where was he from? What was he interested in studying? And then asked Sam, when do you want to start? It's great. I'll take you on as one of my students. When do you want to begin? And Sam's like, I want to start today. Let's jump right in. So the professor loved this, his eagerness. So he got up and went to one of his shelves and took off a jar off the shelf and pulled out this dead preserved fish and he hands it to Sans Scudder and puts it in his hands. He says, I want you to look at the fish. Look at the fish. Just look at the fish. Your two hands, your two eyes, and the fish, I don't want you getting out utensils and cutting it open, I just simply want you to stare and look at the fish and tell me what you can observe. So simple enough, Sam gets it. So the professor shuts the door, leaves the room, and there's Sam with this smelly, stale fish sitting in his hands, and that's all he's doing, for 10, 15 minutes staring at this fish, trying to observe and see what he can find out about it. And after 15 minutes, he feels like he's discovered all there is to see in this fish. And he starts to worry, so he goes and starts looking for the professor. Where did he go? But he can't find him. So he goes back to the room, and 20, 30 minutes, hour after hour passes, and he's just staring at this fish, one angle, then another angle. He opens up its mouth. He tries to start counting how many scales are on it, just looking at the fish. He finally takes a lunch break, again, keeps looking for the professor and cannot find him. The whole afternoon, he just spends looking at the fish and starts drawing it. The professor came back eventually and asked him, like, what have you discovered? What have you discovered? And he began to list off some of his observations, this thing and that thing. And the professor told him, you haven't even seen one of the most obvious parts of the fish. So Sam Scudder keeps looking at it. For three whole days, he's just looking at a fish. How ridiculous is this? Three whole days just staring at a fish. But he said at the end, I began to see how little I saw before when he was staring at this. And it shaped his entire life and how he approached his studies, not giving in to the superficial, but going more deep, three whole days. My point in all of this is this. The problem is not that we are familiar with God. It's that we are not nearly familiar enough. I'll say it again for you. The problem for my heart, maybe for yours, is not that we are familiar with the things of God and around them and things like class and chapel, but we are not nearly steady and purposeful enough in seeking out God and knowing Him. We need to be more familiar than we actually are. And so for too many of us, we just give in after the 15 short minutes and stop observing. We don't go any deeper. We take easy answers and superficial observations about who God is. We don't have a heart that presses in in an eagerness, God, I want to know you more. I want to seek you out whatever this takes to have this diligent, earnest seeking after God. Not giving in, not giving in. What's your seeking God like? Think of the woman who was working at the restaurant on the edge of that Grand Canyon. What would have been her answer? if instead of passing by and giving a sweeping glance every day on her way to this restaurant, she actually stood on the edge of that canyon and just looked out and observed and took in and was amazed, what's this look like at a sunrise? What's this look like in a sunset? Hiking the different paths, studying the geography. She would have had an answer to tell us, man, I've been here for two years and let me tell you, I feel like I haven't even begun to see this canyon. There's so much more and I am amazed. So instead of her answer being characterized by boredom and familiarity, perhaps instead it would have been characterized by amazement and delight and eagerness. So for your heart here this evening, what characterizes your pursuit of God? How do you describe that? Are you seeking him earnestly and diligently, or have you got into the rhythm of superficial answers, quickly passing over a sweeping glance? What's your chasing like? What's your chasing like? For me, when I get to this point, maybe you're wondering, like, Caleb, I get you. I need to seek God more. Okay, I get that. I need to seek him more passionately and dive in more deeply. But how does our hearts actually get motivated to do that? I remember when I was in a chapel once, I heard some crazy saint like Luther prayed a ridiculous number of hours every morning. And so that week, I started to try to pray that many. I woke up at like five or six and tried to pray for several hours. It just broke me down, kicked my butt in like three days. I was done, tapped out, couldn't do it. Did not have the motivation to actually keep going. How do we get that in our hearts, a deeper hunger? Go back with me to verse six. Let's look at this. Where's this come from? Read again. And without faith, it is impossible to please God. Why? Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists. So first of all, you gotta be convinced that God is real. God is real. A deep heart sense that I'm chasing after something that is there, I won't be disappointed. But I wanna speak into a side thing here. Even if you would say, I'm not even a Christian, that's where you're at. I'm not even sure God exists. You don't need to be somehow deeply convinced that God is real yet. Just an inkling in yourself that maybe there is something to Jesus and to God and to what's being taught here. Just a bit of curiosity that I'm going to look more deeply than I have before to see if there's something genuinely real about God. Just get your heart stirred up enough for that, and that's enough faith to get you moving. That'll get you there. So just start with that. Is there a curiosity? Have I missed things before? That's enough faith. Is he real? I want to seek it out. But not just that. Is God real? But it goes on that he exists and he rewards those who earnestly seek him. God is rewarding. Knowing God is rewarding. This is where I want to spend more time because if you're going to have like this engine inside of you that I'm not going to give up, I'm so hungry for God, you must see how rewarding he is. Enough with the theoretical. You got to taste and see that God is good. So to show you this in a way, I want to read something from a guy named Jonathan Edwards. He lived back in the 1700s. And what I'm going to read is a bit old school in language. It's kind of hard to understand, but I want to break it down anyways because there's something really important that he draws out in this experience. I have it on a screen for you as well, if that helps to read along. So this is Jonathan Edwards talking about his own relationship with God and how rewarding it is. He said, As I rode out into the woods for my health in 1737, that's a long time ago, having alighted from my horse in a retired place as my manner commonly has been to walk for divine contemplation and prayer. All right, he's kind of crazy in how he writes. He's just saying he's going on a walk outside for some exercise as he usually does. This is a habit, and he's thinking about God as he does it in prayer. And I had a view, not like a literal view, but in his heart, in his spirit, that was for me extraordinary of the glory of the Son of God. As mediator between God and man and his wonderful, look at all these words he's trying to capture this with, great, full, pure, sweet grace and love, and meek and gentle condescension. He's amazed at who Jesus is as he begins to have a deep sense of this on his heart. Look what impact this has on him. I love this. This grace that appeared so calm and sweet appeared also great above the heavens, The person of Christ appeared ineffably or indescribably excellent with an excellency great enough to swallow up all thoughts and conceptions, which continued as near as I can judge about an hour, such as to keep me a greater part of the time in a flood of tears and weeping aloud. So what he's sensing about who Jesus is is leading him into this ugly cry of amazement at who God is. Not in a sadness but in a kind of joy that can only be expressed in this weeping. And he keeps going. I felt an ardency of soul to be what I know not otherwise how to express, emptied and annihilated, not wanting to to die, but it's just less of me, less of me. I want me out of here because that's ruining it, more of Christ. So he says, to be full of Christ alone, to love him with a holy and pure love, to trust him, to live upon him to serve him and to be perfectly sanctified and made pure with the divine and holy purity. I read these things, I'm like, what is he talking about? What kind of experience is this that you enter into a relationship with God and sense his spirit in you that it overwhelms you with delight, overwhelms you with joy at God's goodness towards you? Have you experienced this kind of relationship with God? What's so difficult I feel for people who are not Christians, but are often around Christians, that this is not often the kind of life that we demonstrate with Jesus. We often don't come across as people who are overwhelmed with joy and delight in God. I don't mean that all of our life is continually just one yippee all the time. I know there is sorrow, there is difficulty, there is pain. But we sometimes forget at how much God is willing to show of himself in our hearts the kind of joy he's intending to pour into us. This is the kind of thing we read about in Ephesians chapter 3. It says, and to pray, this is his prayer, that we would know with his power, right? Let me read this for you. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all God's holy people to grasp, to get this, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know, to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you might be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Paul's talking about an experience that is meant for everyone who knows Jesus. This love that goes past what your mind can think but enters into your inner being so that you are overwhelmed with joy and delight. This is what it means to be a Christian. This is what it means to know God. And there's nothing better for you because we have been made to be in relationship with God. And nothing else will satisfy us like being filled with the Holy Spirit. And not in a theoretical way that we hear about these things or merely study about these things. But Paul's talking about this is meant to be experienced in your inner being. So that you would know and taste and see how good God is. How rewarding God is. And this is what we're seeking out. Because there's nothing better that you and I could ever encounter than this. Than having the joy and love of God in our inner being. It's the most rewarding thing there is. Nothing better that you and I could seek out. So don't settle for lesser things. You were made for the most. You were made for the best. And this is it. How do we see this though? That's where I want to wrap up. How do we actually see this? This is where God has demonstrated In Christ Jesus, that he is real and he is rewarding. Again, God has demonstrated in Jesus Christ that he is real and he is rewarding. He didn't leave it to be something that's just wishful thinking or guesswork. He demonstrated it to us in history that he's actually real and compelling. And he's showing us who he is, that he is rewarding in the kind of love he's offering to us so we can look at it, we can actually look at it, study it, think about it, be moved by it, have our hearts gripped in this way. It's Jesus Christ in him crucified. This is where we see most clearly. And we begin to discover how much we would not know if it was not for the death of Jesus. How much I would not know about God and myself and life if it was not for the death of Jesus. And as I look more deeply, my heart starts to be more captured. So to go back again to Luke 15, you hear about this shepherd that's going to this great length to find one sheep. But we can start to wonder, how far would this shepherd really go? What's the greatest lengths? And this is where, if it were not, again, for the death of Jesus, we would not know how far God is willing to go to pursue you and I in all of our messiness and craziness. We could be guessing about it, we could hear this or hear that, but God has demonstrated just to what extent He's willing to go to come after my heart. That He's willing to take on such a death that Jesus, the Son of God, the Almighty, is saying, God, take this cup from me. I don't know if I could handle this cost. But He presses in anyways, He pursues us anyways at the greatest possible cost to himself, this is how much God is seeking us out. This is how far he's willing to go. That we would really clearly, purposefully see God's love for us and be amazed. And if your heart does not see how God has pursued you, you will not be motivated and moved to pursue him. If your heart's not captured by how God has gone to such a great length to chase you down, you will not have a heart to chase him down. You must see this in Christ, what we would not know if it was not for the death of Jesus. So set your heart and your eyes on Christ and him crucified and look just more deeply. Stop giving it such a quick passing glance where you've heard 10,000 times about Jesus and him crucified. I say on your own, in your own heart, look more deeply at who Jesus is and him crucified that you might just be moved for the first time to see I am this deeply loved by the Almighty. I am this deeply loved and this is who I am. And thing after thing, you could look and look and look this year, and see things you never saw before and start to say, I see now how little I saw before. I'm amazed at who God is. That's why I want this hunger, this hunger in us. So to wrap this up, would you guys pray with me and we can sing a little bit more if we got time. Jesus, thank you uh, that you don't want us to be lost. You don't want us to be guessing about who you are but you've really shown us your love. You've shown us your kindness in the death of Jesus. So Lord, I ask in the name of Jesus that you would teach us to look at this, to meditate on it, to contemplate it this year, to set rhythms and habits in our life where we'd really look at you and be amazed. So ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen.